Hi, I'm the person whose closet is put in color order, but I'll also pick up an earthworm without thinking twice. In fact, I did yesterday. <laughs> it needed my help. I'm not afraid to be a little messy. Human nature is messy, but nature nature can help us embrace it. I love the brand seventh generation. Their laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with the power of bioenzymes. That's exciting. You wipe your hands on your pants after you pick up an earthworm. Seventh generation is like, don't worry, hug a dirty tree, huff some bark. It's good for you. That is the power of seventh generation. Find laundry detergent and other laundry products at seventhgeneration.com. I love worms. I know I usually save my secrets for the end of the episode, but I'm going to tell you my secret favorite candy. It's Reese's peanut butter cups. It's really Reese's anything, but Reese's peanut butter cups are the thing that I'm like, have I had a bad day? I get these. Have I had a good day? I get these. Chocolate salty peanut butter, the textures. I love everything about them. Also that there's two. So I'm like, oh, I get this one for later, which is one second later. Anyway, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, I love you. That's all. If you're me, you can shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. And I am. Oh, hey, it's your old internet dad here with an episode you've all just been chomping at the bit for. Will she go there, you wondered? She went there. Boy, howdy did she. But don't worry. Okay, this one, it doesn't get too gross. I don't know. What am I talking about? It's so gross. It's an entire episode on animal poo and sometimes ours because we are, after all, animals. But I tried to just keep it as informative and as illuminating as an entire episode on animal excrement can be. But before number two, number one, I want to let you know, uh, everyone, I will be at Cal Academy on March 5th. That is this Thursday in San Francisco. I'll be at First Fridays in LA on March 6th for their Secrets from the Vault series, South by Southwest EDU on March 11th. Thank you to everyone on patreon.com slash ologies for submitting your questions and for supporting the show. It's as little as 25 cents an episode to get into that club. I'm each person out there wearing ologies merch and hashtagging it ologies merch so we can repost you. Thank you. And of course, to everyone rating and making sure that they're subscribed and telling a friend and of course, leaving reviews to freshen up my crappy days. Like this one from Maxine Sunshine, who says, I am a zookeeper with a cranky kookaburra, that's a bird, I looked it up, named Cookie, who cackles at compliments, finds music miserable, and whose whooping is only silenced by the soothing voice of Allie Dadward. The Ologies podcast has given my ears peace during the hour I spend with Cookie daily, and we have both learned so much. Cookie's favorite episode is, of course, ornithology, they say. So Cookie, this one's for you. Let's just roll up our sleeves and just dive right into it. Scatology. It comes from the Greek for feces. You're welcome. Scatology is a scientific study or the chemical analyses of feces, while coprology is scatology. What? Okay, so both same. Also, both can mean toilet humor or a special interest in poops in a sexy way. Okay. So for this scatology episode, we talk a lot about zoopoos. And in fact, I got a VIP tour in which I saw a freezer that was kind of like a porta potty on Noah's Ark. The um, coolest thing about our, our labs, mm -hmm. maybe, is our freezers. Yes. So um, this one might be locked, but um, yeah. You gotta well, lock up you your poop? One. Uh, yeah, so we keep our, our freezers locked. So we have black rhino, pygmy hippo, red river hog poo. We have our some of our octopus stuff in here. We have <laughs> our gravity zebra, bacterium camels, our our uh, giraffe, our black bear, our Japanese macaque, pygmy solaris, diana monkey, high tamarind, polar bear. That's just what lives in this freezer. Now oh I have 13 God. others. We're, we're going to go all around the zoo. We're going to go through each one for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real poo party. I love that it's like, hey, no food or drink in here. You're like, don't worry about it. <laughs> 
What's the word I'm thinking of? Like a shawarma. It just looks like a lot of rolled up shawarma. We have mountain gorillas from Rwanda in here. Never know what we have in our freezer. Wait, so. there's geese. Was it geese? Yeah, we have um, goose poop. Goose yep. poop? Yeah, that's in here. I don't know if that's in here or not, but we definitely are doing goose poop. Eastern Massasauga rattlesnakes. Snakes poop. Yes. Ah! Not very often, but they poop. Uh, more snow leopards. Lots of snow leopards. Israeli gerbils. Yes. Gerbil poo. Yeah, gerbil poo. Very small. <laughs> Lab mice poo. Tic-tacs, we have right? we have uh, Congo. They're they're probably gorilla samples, low on gorillas, and we have mountain gram red squirrel samples. One of, that is probably that's even more rare than the black footed ferret. I think there's only thirty to forty left oh in Arizona. Yeah, that's amazing. It really looks like if Marie Kondo kept a refrigerator full of shit. <laughs> like it's beautiful in there. So this ologist has earned the nickname Dr. Poop. She wears it with pride. So she got her bachelor's in pre-vet science and her master's in animal physiology at Clemson University, and then her PhD in environmental science and policy at George Mason University. And she is the director of the Davy Center for Epidemiology and Endocrinology at the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. The motto of her program, she says, is, if it defecates, we will study it. So we took a seat, and we talked all about tiny poos, giant poos, pebble poos, pet poos, whale poos, famous otters, French confections, glitter pills, wombat bricks, what poo says about you, and how and why this animal scientist and conservationist analyzes the feces of countless species and loves it. So please curl up for the scoop on this rare science with scatologist Dr. Poop, aka Dr. Rachel Santemeyer. So shy. I'm like, <laughs> just pretend it's not there. Yes. Pretend it's an ice cream cone. <laughs> if you could tell me your first and last name. Uh, Rachel Santemeyer. Got it. AKA Dr. Poop. <laughs> How long have you been Dr. Poop? I've been Dr. Poop for 13 years, I guess. <laughs> yeah. My parents are so proud. <laughs> hey, the in doctor in front of anything is great. You're doing great. Literally doctor in front of anything. Yeah, in theory, yes. I yeah. guess they don't really talk to their bridge club about what I do. They just say, I work at a zoo, so... This place is a zoo! Now, how did the nickname Dr. Poop come to be? You know, it was really our learning staff trying to get kids excited about the science. Mm-hmm. And, oh man, kids love poop, right? <laughs> Parents, not so much. Until they start to hear the science and they realize how cool it is. Mm-hmm. And then they they eventually start getting really excited about the poop. So It's a great marketing strategy, for real. Yeah, except for my mom said I was full of shit, so... <laughs> She's got you there. Literally, she said that to me today. I was just like, she laughed, she laughed. Oh, thanks, Mom. <laughs> You've got to get just the best puns in your email inbox. Yeah, you know, my one of my favorite titles of my talk is How Feces Save Species. Do you think that there's a big difference culturally between poo and poop? Hmm. No, I don't think so. Maybe poo sounds more cute than poop. Yeah. Because poop is more like an action and poo is kind of like the emoji. Okay, so quick aside, I looked this up and poop used to mean 
to softly break wind. It was onomatopoetic in nature. But my guess is that enough people had unhappy accidents and whammo, boom, language changes. In this case, from a gas to a solid. Also, poo is a relatively new word. It first appeared in the 1950s, just in case you're wondering about the movement of the term. And so tell me about your journey to the queen of poop. <laughs> um, they also call me the poop hoarder, right? Because I, I, I don't throw any poop away. I keep it. And I, my, my strategy is just to buy a new freezer every year. And I have like 14 around the zoo. And the animal care staff are so nice. They like make room for my new freezers. The facility guys add new electrical stuff for me. So, um, but you know, I, I, you know, classic story. I loved animals. We had, you know, dogs and cats growing up. I, um, like middle school, I started riding horses. So I, I love horses. And I love to ask people what their favorite animal is because I don't have one. I love all animals. There were the feathers, they're fish, you know, I love rodents, you know. And so I just loved all animals. And my, my room actually was sort of a zoo because I had parakeets, I had hermit crabs, you know, I had gerbils, you know, I just had all these animals in my room and I cared for them. I love caring for animals. And in fact, if like the zombie apocalypse happened, that's the only skill I have. <laughs> I cannot do anything else but shovel poop, basically. Uh, and uh, maybe that's also why I'm Dr. Poop. But um, I started off thinking that if you loved animals, you became a veterinarian. Mm -hmm. And so in high school, I worked at a vet's office. In college, I was in pre-veterinary science, animal science at Clemson University. And so my goal was to become a veterinarian. And I worked at vet's offices. I cared for animals. And I applied to vet school. I got an interview at Tuskegee University in Alabama, and literally one person in front of me changed my course of my career. I didn't get in. Oh. I didn't get in, and I didn't know what to do because that was my whole plan. That was everything I'd done built up to that uh, that career. I panicked because, you know, I had student loans. You know, you had to start paying these things off yeah. in six months when you're out of school. And what happened was the scientist came down from the National Zoo. His name was Dr. David Wilt, who unfortunately had just passed away. He talked about how he was an animal scientist and how he's applying all these technologies, particularly assisted reproductive technologies like artificial insemination, semen collection and evaluation, and cryopreservation to wildlife, to endangered species like cheetahs and clouded leopards. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. And it just so happens, you know, the zoo, the zoo field were a little inbred. And I somehow connected through Clemson and Smithsonian um, Institution where uh, Dave Witt was from and started my master's at Clemson and did a zoo uh, project on black howler monkeys. And then I got hired by the Smithsonian to work in their endocrinology lab. And then I started to do my PhD there and got to work on one of the rarest mammals we have here in North America, the black-footed ferret. Just a quick FYI on black-footed ferret the ferret endemic to North America. So because they munch on prairie dogs and prairie dog habitat is now largely like shopping centers, the species got down to only 18 individuals at one point. So for her PhD, Rachel studied their reproduction and still works with breeding programs to get their numbers up. There are only about 700 left on the planet. So think of your local movie house's dome theater and then fill each seat with one North American black-footed ferret. Just a little weasel, just a little sock with a face, maybe sitting there watching a costume drama. Imagine that. Now, there are less of those ferrets on planet Earth 
than would be in a dome theater because we saw a bunch of North American prairie land and we were like, you know what this needs? A parking lot for a Hobby Lobby. Now, did your work with the Blackfooted Ferret, did that kind of introduce you to analyzing poop to find out about endocrinology (laughs) of a species? It did, yeah. Um, So, you know, a ferret is a mustelid, which is a very stinky species. So you can imagine their feces. Yes, they are pretty stinky. So I started in 1998 at the Smithsonian to work on black-footed ferret, looking at um, reproductive hormones and seeing how they change seasonally and how they're related to age. And then the other species I started with was the fishing cat. So I don't know if you have a cat, but you know, cat poop really stinks. Not a good smell. Yeah. Nope. And then you, 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 you combine it with eating only fish. Oh. So yes. So in the Smithsonian, we had the fecal lab. People would leave the fecal <laughs> lab when I pulled out the fish and cat samples. It was so bad. I mean, like, you know, you know, it's going to smell in the fecal lab, but when Rachel pulls out those fish and cat samples, people leave. They just can't take it. I'm outie. I, I have, I'm very tolerant of poop. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't mind so much, but yeah, I, I got the, I was a, really like a privilege to work on, you know, one of the rarest mammals we have here in North America. And then also another species like the fishing cat. I mean, what's more unique, you know, this cat that like dive into water to eat fish, you know, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. So not many cats would do that. This woman, not only does she merrily work with poo, she calls it a privilege. So y'all find what you love bloom where you're planted. Just make sure you're covered in fertilizer. And why do you think you are so tolerant of feces? Um, because I've always taken care of animals, whether it was bird poop, gerbil poop, dog poop, cat poop, you know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, all about the poop, yeah, fish <laughs> poop. Um, and so horse poop, man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just very tolerant now. The thing, probably the least favorite thing of my job has been saliva. Oh, really? Yes, saliva. So let me tell you about our pygmy hippo. Okay. We're, we're, um, they have a breeding recommendation for our two pygmy hippos. And so they wanted to see if they could time when to pair, pair them together because they're generally solitary animals. Mm-hmm. And so we try to look at hormones. And unfortunately, with a pygmy hippo, they, they like to poop in the water. Oh, and that pretty much ruins my sample because we there's a hormones in the water, maybe from the fish, from everything else. So, so I needed you know a good fecal sample from them, and so we actually tried saliva. And the way we do that was we had our female, and we would show her corn, and she loved corn. So she would start to salivate and just drool would come out, <laughs> and they would take a pipette and they would pipette it off the ground and they would put it in a syringe uh, and put it in a, a test tube for me and then it would come to the lab and I'd have to pipette it out of the test tube and it literally would just string from one tube to the next <laughs> like <laughs> I love that that's the thing that grosses yes, you like, out but you know I, I'm a mom now this is before I was a mom and now I'm like Psh, whatever you yeah. know I can tolerate anything <laughs> but uh, yeah before that was I was like give me poop please this this life is pretty gross somewhere there's a doctor spit who's just doesn't understand you Probably. at all. I, I'm going to have to look that up. Okay, yes, I looked this up. And there is a Dr. Spit. So Missouri news station KY3 interviewed this local legend who is a blues harmonica player. His name is Dr. Spit. Something like that. You do not get to pick your nickname. Somebody inebriated in the bar decides what your name's going to be. So I did a little more digging and found out, sadly, Dr. Spit 
aka Ron Alexander, is no longer with us. So Blue's fans have a little more reason to be Blue. But yes, in the wisdom of Dr. Spit, the nickname chooses you. And now, broadly speaking, what is poop? Who poops? Plants don't poop. Animals do. Mm -hmm. What's happening? What is it? Yeah. There's a book. Everybody poops, right? Yep. Everyone poops. And so, um, yeah. So what happens is we're looking for, for wildlife endocrinology, we're looking at these steroid hormones. Mm -hmm. And these hormones are related to reproduction. So we can determine pregnancy. We can determine when the female's receptive or an estrus. And then we can also look at stress. Right. And we always think stress is a bad thing, but really stress is a necessary response that we and animals have to deal with situations. And then we have distress, which is the negative stress that, you know, could be bullying or something that you don't really, really is upsetting. And there's also eustress, which is like riding that roller coaster, being super excited, you know, for our animals is getting enrichment. And so stress is very important. So we, we use these steroid hormones to look at that. And so what happens is there's some kind of response, either a stress response or a reproductive response. So like this time of year, the days are starting to lengthen. So a lot of species are long day breeders like horses, for example. So they're going to start coming into estrus, right? They're going to start getting ready to breed. And so these cues signal the hormones to be released and they circulate in the blood. But for something like stress, I can't really get a blood sample from animals, even from people, because that causes stress itself, right? Mm -hmm. So we look for alternative samples. And what's nice is the liver actually functions in the body to make these steroids, which are made from cholesterol. So they're oily, they're hydrophobic. Mm -hmm. They add a compound to make them hydrophilic so they can be excreted in urine and feces. Oh, so when we're done with our stress hormones, we're like, get out of here. Yeah. Take the back door. Yeah. Or I'm we, done with you. <laughs> yeah, we continually be responding that's not a healthy thing right yeah. yeah so they they have their purpose their job and then the, the body gets rid of them mm -hmm. and so we take advantage of that you know with human pregnancy tests you can use urine right mm -hmm. and that's actually a protein hormone that you're looking for but for in feces we're looking at these steroids and it, it's just really convenient that we can get it from poop because then we don't have to stress the animals out. It's like we're poop detectives. Um, because, you know, they you literally like, you know, the, especially here at the zoo, the animal care staff has to pick up the samples and now they can simply put it in a Ziploc bag, put it in the freezer and I can come along, we can pick it up, we can thaw it and we can figure out what's going on inside the animal. Mm -hmm. And that's so important because, yes, they have behaviors. But if you've had a, a cat or a dog, you know that they hide certain things from you. Um, well, sometimes they can't hide their guilt. You got in the kitty cat's treats while I was gone? <laughs> but, you know, other things when, like, for example, they're in pain or anything else, you can't really understand sometimes. Maybe they're hiding more. And so we we integrate behavior, animal behavior with endocrinology to really look at the physiology, the response that they're having so we can interpret the behavior better and vice versa, too. Mm -hmm. And so the zookeepers, as long as they're poop scooping, they, they get in there, they take a little handful, if you yeah. will, yeah, and then put it in a Ziploc, what, just like roll it up like a sausage and <laughs> pop it in the... Yeah, well, they usually invert the bag and like <laughs> grab it, you know, you know, just like you do with your dog. With your dog. Yeah, 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 same yeah. thing. Yep. And then um, how many samples of poo do you think you have in, oh, in your 17 freezer? <laughs> Don't let anybody at the zoo know this. <laughs> I, know. I probably, we do about, we, cha we changed some of our science recently, but in general, we do about eight to 10,000 samples a year. Oh, so much. 
So that's about, you know, 130,000 samples. So if much. anybody wants to support biobanking, <laughs> please send us money. <laughs> Lowe's, we use your freezers. Donate to us. You know, and so, yeah, but I can't throw them, I can't throw them away because you can't go back in time. Mm-hmm. And if you want to see how things have changed, which is really important for zoos, we monitor animals continuously and we want to see how they change over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's important to keep those archive samples. And then I also have lots of other questions. As a scientist, we're always asking questions. We get them answered. And then we have like 10 more. Mm-hmm. That go with that and so um yeah so i just hoard it good yeah good but now i switch to um we use hair now for hormone analysis mm-hmm. and it gives us a slightly different perspective um there's actually some debate about whether the hair the steroids in the hair the hormones in the hair are telling you about what happened when the hair was growing or when or what happened yesterday kind right. of thing a more of a cute response because unlike most wildlife species their hair doesn't continually grow like ours and a lot of the human literature they're able to cut up the hair and kind of get a timeline of either um, chemical abuse or poisoning you know the, all the forensic stuff out there it's really cool and so we took that science and we're applying it to wildlife and looking at stress levels so we can um really see kind of what's going on. And in the fecal, uh, the hormones in the feces are telling you what happened yesterday. Mm -hmm. Hair might be telling you what happened last week or two weeks ago or last month. So yes, both hair and droppings are non-invasive relatively, and they can give you different data. But with turds, you know it's pretty recent. Also, let's get gross. Let's zoom in and discuss what doo-doo really is, other than something you usually do not want to look at closely. And now... You've had your hands in every kind of poo, I imagine, (laughs) from like geese to hippos to cheetahs. What are some commonalities and what are some differences? Like what is stool? Is it mostly bacteria? Is it mostly fiber? Like what? What is it? Yeah, it's a combination of everything, right? It's mm-hmm. uh, it's just the waste product of what we ate, mm-hmm. and um, what's in our system. And so, yeah, it has lots of bacteria, which are sort of our enemy for hormones because it continues to break down the hormones if we don't get it in the freezer fast. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at all these different species, like elephants or black rhinos, which we have here at the zoo, it's like all fiber. You're like, how is there any poo in the sample, or is it just like? <laughs> cut up hay you know same with the zebras and horses you know it's really like this looks just like hay with some some poop smeared around it but we can actually look at the poop when we get so familiar with our animals here at the zoo our staff can see the the poop samples and know when the staff have accidentally mixed up the bags because you know they they all look like a certain sometimes food item Mm -hmm. um or not but like talk and poo kind of looks like little olives and (laughs) our different females had like different shaped and size olives so we knew when they kind of mixed them up <laughs> you know the uh camels um they have like golf balls they have golf ball poops and but the the rhinos of course have the bowling ball right and so <gasps> we don't get to we don't necessarily get the bowling balls we get part of the bowling balls but yeah very fibrous this imagery will stay on my mind for a while and then you know the oh the 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 apes and the primates you know that's just a whole nother story but is that like, more like human yeah it's yeah. more like human it's definitely more well i can't say that because the male black rhino feces is pretty stinky mm-hmm. they use a lot of pheromones and odor cues for um communication because they're solitary animals so um but yeah i think one of the worst samples i've had in my lab was actually my own dog's poop he's oh, just no. really wow you're just like shh. you know the doors get closed <laughs> yeah. you know from the like the, the staff that work on their computer 
leaders versus the, the fecal lab staff, you know, or when we do the polar bear, it's a lot of like fish and stuff. Mm. That is pretty stinky. Okay. So in a herd of giraffes or a pride of lions or a party of orangutans, I'm, I don't know. I'm just going to hope that a group of orangutans is called a party. Actually, hold on. Okay. I just looked it up, and it's a Congress of orangutans, which, wow, I wish our Congresses worked like that. But anyway, how do they figure out who left what behind? But the, the fecal marker study, this is this is one of the best things, one of the best papers I've published, I think. <laughs> it's very practical. But what do you do when you have a whole bunch of individuals together and you want to sample each individual? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you could either have to have a staff member or volunteer that sits there and waits for them to defecate, which yeah. could be a long time, depending on the species, right? And so we devised a way to mark the feces. And so you can give them food coloring oh and make God. their feces green or, um, <laughs> well, usually green, green and blue come out green. So it's, it's kind of hard to find different colors. We fed glitter to <gasps> our animals, non-toxic glitter, of course, yeah. non-toxic beads, um, oh my all these different things, seeds, um, blueberries would have seeds, you know, anything that has seeds. Um, so there's a couple, couple issues with this. Okay. So, mm-hmm. When you feed them bird seed, like millet, uh, to, uh, to mark their feces, uh, the house sparrows come and eat it out of the feces before oh. you can pull it. Yeah, so, oh, the house sparrows. Yeah, they eat the seeds out of there. So that kind of, well, that's not a good marker. And then uh, the chimpanzees are probably the worst because... Hang on to your stomachs. Gag triggers ahead. They see that pretty green feces that someone just defecated, and then they go eat it. Oh, no chance. And they all eat it, so then everyone has green feces. So you cannot mark a chimpanzee's feces just because everybody else eats it, and then everybody else's feces is marked. How how did the glitter experiment go? Uh, It went pretty well, you know. Um... Some species, you know how the, the, the non-toxic glitter has different colors, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when we fed it to our lions, they basically pooped out silver glitter no matter what color we gave them. But I had a graduate student, Chris Shell, that worked on coyotes. Mm-hmm. And he, the coyotes, they actually would still poop out the color of the glitter. They didn't eat off, I don't their system didn't eat off the color of the glitter. So he could use multiple glitter colors to mark the different coyote feces, which was awesome. So side note. Of course, you can purchase glitter-filled capsules, and of course, people sell them on Etsy as shitter glitter pills. But according to reviews, you gotta take a lot of them. And also, some glitter is actually just tiny plastic pieces, so let's just make a pack to not. Also, speaking of canines, I'm sorry, I had to ask. Well, I have a question. What was your dog's poop doing in the lab? Did you, (laughs) was that just tracked in on a shoe, or (laughs) were you comparing? I use all my animals to um, develop our methods. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, we, we were studying domestic dogs um, in and around the Serengeti National Park in Tanzania. Mm-hmm. The domestic dogs are used for service, right? They help protect the livestock from predation. The problem with domestic dogs also is that they give diseases like canine distemper or rabies to the wildlife, but also rabies to people. And so we started a um, vaccination campaign to reduce um, distemper, which was um, 
affecting the lions, and then reduced rabies, which affects a lot of species, including people. And so I had to sort of develop the field methods to take to the Serengeti so they could extract the hormones from the dog feces. Mm -hmm. And so then I was using my dog's feces. (laughs) I used my cat's feces. I used my dog's hair, my my dog's toenails. We do toenails. (laughs) Um, The horse, we haven't done horse poop yet, but we've done horse hair, you know, because I just have it. And Mm -hmm. if we're just kind of trying to develop the methods in the lab, you just, we just need a product, right? We need something to work with. So, right. yeah. So, yeah, we, we use all my animals. So Use what you got. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever have any humans come to you and say, hey, Dr. Poop, can you see if I'm doing all right? Uh, no. Uh, we don't do we don't do any human service stuff though. Um, it's been accidental where we've tried to develop some controls for our, our hormone assays and mm-hmm. use human urine to do that. And my, at the time, my technician was pregnant and didn't know it. And you know, wow, we had some progesterone controls there. <laughs> so that was accidental. Um, Did yeah, you yeah. let her know? Oh, she yeah, she found out. Yeah, she found out. she was doing it, and she found out, and she didn't tell anybody because you know, so you had to wait for a yeah. while, of course. And then yeah, so. What a way to find out. Yeah, what a way to find out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just a busy day at the office. Yes. Yeah. Well, hey. And now you mentioned a little bit about bowling ball rhino poo, which is I'm still boggled by. Does it really come out like a bowling ball? It does. Yes. And then I don't know if you've ever seen a dog do this, where they scrape their back legs after they go to the bathroom. Yes. That's a sign of territoriality. They're marking their territory, and rhinos do that, but they purposely step in their feces. <laughs> And then they walk away because that's how they mark their territory. They have these little latrines called uh-huh. middens where they come by, they defecate, they stomp in it, they scrape in it, and they walk away. Rude. Wow. 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 I don't know what your phone's data plan is, but if you get a hot second, feel free to Google rhino pooping and you will find we are in good company with hundreds of thousands of people who have also wanted to watch rhinos shitting in their middens, which, by the way, is a word which comes from the Scandinavian for muck heap. So one video by YouTuber Zagif Zelyanov shows the moment that a San Diego Zoo rhino turns its posterior to the crowd, lifts a tail, and averts its floopy pink poop shoot. Oops. Letting rumble forth a dozen wet cannonballs of mashed and digested hay and a little liquid trickle at the end, kind of like a delicate bow. When Zagif Zelyanov took this vacation video, I highly doubt he knew that it would be getting nearly 800,000 views. But here we are. And he's in good company with professional poop doctors. And so, well, we're actually, we're the rude ones because we put camera traps on the latrines because we wanted to get them in the act because it's very important, of course, this is all all for science, mm-hmm. is to um, know when they defecated. How long has that sample been exposed to the environment? Mm-hmm. And I already told you that bacteria breaking down the hormones is our, our nemesis, right? We want to stop that from happening. And so, so anyway, so we, we put the camera traps and it kicks a picture of the rhinos when they're in action. <laughs> and then we have also the time and date stamp when that fa- that sample was left. So we can study them. So we were studying black rhinos in South Africa. We like rarely ever saw rhinos. Mm-hmm. They're so elusive. And um, so those elusive poopers are really challenging. And so you can, you, you have to get stealth and you have mm-hmm. to get um, these camera traps and figure out um, where to set them. Now that's so illegal if it's humans, but if it's rhinos, it's fine. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> and um, when it comes to smells why 
are some so distinct? <laughs> it's because of what they eat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know what I'm feeding my one dog. It may also just be um, the bacteria and their gut microbes that are, are, are causing this smell. Mm -hmm. But yes, uh, it's definitely related to food and bacteria. Mm -hmm. And now when you're doing your lab work, I've seen pictures of you, you're, you're swabbing, you're cutting things, you're, you're stirring them with what looks like a tiny immersion blender. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. I call it a special test tube blender. Yes. A homogenizer. A homogenizer is the word. Yes. Is the science word for it. But it's really like if you were going to froth up like a lot. Exactly. I tell people that's, that's our field methods. I said, do not use this to make mixed drinks. This is just for feces. Let's keep it separate. Yes, totally. Feces only. How are you running those assays to figure out like what kind of hormones are in there like do you have so how do you deal with all the data i guess is my question one day at a time yeah. it is overwhelming because we we you know conservation is a crisis science mm -hmm. we are losing species so quickly and so we all want to work together we all want to get things done um but it gets overwhelming with all the the data and so um you know, here every month we're collecting samples from our our zoo animals. When we have questions, we're analyzing them, we're graphing them, we're sending them to the managers so that we can work with the managers on helping them manage their animals. And so it it's uh, it can be over it can just be overwhelming. But I have a lot of graduate students, um, and so it's their responsibility to keep the data all organized and graph it and show it to me and um, analyze it. So that helps. Mm -hmm. That helps having students and staff members too. What's your Purell routine? Do you have a, a hand sanitizer preference or is it like, do you become desensitized? Like, poo's poo, fine. You have to be careful because there are diseases and, and feces, parasites, <laughs> viruses. And so we had to periodically remind people that this is feces and you have to be careful. And so we have... We have lots of protocols. You never, even in your office, eat anything that's hit the ground. There's no five-second rule around us, for <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, we have a dirty lab, and we keep feces in a certain place, and it has to be either zip-locked in a bag to be in another place, but it, or it's in, this, in the fecal lab. Mm -hmm. And so we have these strict rules to make sure um, that we don't have any contamination, um, any spread of diseases and stuff. So it's really important, actually, because, you know, it, it still is poop, though I, we're pretty desensitized to it. Do you think that's where the kind of wiring for shame around number two happens? Because it's easy to be like, I gotta go pee, but you would never be like, I'm gonna go take a dump. Like you would never announce that. Like, are there certain animals, does it happen more with primates or social animals that seem more embarrassed about taking a dump? I don't know about embarrassed, but, but you know, they're the what I call the elusive poopers, mm -hmm. like cats who bury their feces, right? right? They hide their feces, unlike, you know, some ungulates like deer that may walk and poop at the same time. <laughs> you know, rhinos have a specific location where they're going to go. They're going to go to their midden. They're going to defecate there. Dogs are just kind of, you know. Right. I mean, there might be some personalities that may be a little bit more shy than others. But, you know, typically the, the feces, they're either trying to hide that they're there and so they're going to cover it up or they're advertising that they're there, right? Or they don't care. So, you know, it just kind of really depends on, on the species. Mm -hmm. P.S. I asked the internet why humans are ashamed of their own poops and got back everything from our innate desire to avoid parasites, because even deer and sheep and cows do not graze where they plop, to the Bible. So Deuteronomy 2312, anyone? 
quote, you must have a place outside the camp to go and relieve yourself, and you must have a digging tool in your equipment so that when you relieve yourself, you can dig a hole and cover up your excrement. So yes, even God politely asks that you drop all deuces downwind and away from the camp kitchen, okay? And when I say you, I'm including raccoons. I think I have a raccoon latrine in my backyard. Ooh, that's I know. Good. I know, roundworms, right? Yes. In the brain. Luckily, it's down the hill for me. Yes. But I was like, who's been pooping in the yard? And I think, and I looked it up, and I, I think it might be mm-hmm. a raccoon toilet. Yes. That's I've been good. cursed with a raccoon toilet. Yes, yes. So that's a, some, that you should call a professional for that, right? Uh, I would definitely either avoid it or try to bury it or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, I was. I was got so excited about having raccoon parties, and then yeah. I was like, "Well, that's I don't want a brain parasite." Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's there's some there's some reasons why there's human wildlife conflict, right? And then mm-hmm. some other things that we we should uh, appreciate nature and engage with nature, but you know, we also have to make sure that we stay healthy and the animals stay healthy too, right? So yeah. we some of our habits too are bad for them, like leaving trash out. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we don't want to leave a Vegas-style buffet for a record. No, exactly. <laughs> oh, um, I wanted to ask, and I, I asked this of a lot of ologists, is there a movie or a TV show that deals with this type of science or poo in general that you feel like really gets it right or wrong? How is the poo emoji? Mm. Is the poo emoji on point apart from the <laughs> eyes? <laughs> uh, well, no, and it depends on the species, right? Right. Yeah, that's you know that's more kind of a primate poo than a. It's not a ball. It's not. It's not an olive. It's not a um, you know golf ball or a bowling ball. Or so mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of insular of us to mm-hmm. choose a primate poo. Yes, primates tend to have like the soft serve, like yes. the chocolate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. soft serve. Do you have a problem going to self-serve yogurt places? <laughs> no. In fact, I make these uh, these awesome chocolate mint cookies every Christmas that are shaped like poo, like a little <laughs> round poo. And, you know, they come from the, you know, the fecal lab. You know, happy holidays. Here's the fecal lab. I put some powdered sugar on there so, you know, less, less like you know, poo-poo. But, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it's funny. Right? I think it's you great. Know, yeah. Is it, is it, which species is it, does it most resemble? It's probably more like a camel. Okay. Than anything else. Yeah. Cause it's just like a little ball. It's a golf ball. Uh huh. I have so many questions from listeners that I'm holding off asking some of them because I know listeners want to ask them. So can I ask you Patreon questions? Sure. Okay. Good. Okay, but before your burning poo questions, a quick break. So each episode we donate to a charity of the ologist choosing and the Lincoln Park Zoo of Chicago funds so much great conservation work and remains free to all visitors, which rules. So Rachel, aka Dr. Poop, would like a donation to go to them. It's a really beautiful campus, so do take a stroll around next time you're in the windy city. So that donation was made possible by sponsors of the show, who you may hear about now. What do you get for the mom who burst you into the world? I know, a candle. Are you like, no, that's not quite enough. How about memories that she'll love looking at every day? Aura frames? I love them. So they're a digital photo frame. They were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and by me. And Aura frames are Wi-Fi connected. You can add unlimited photos and videos, and you can invite as many people as you want to the frame. There are absolutely no hidden fees. There's no subscriptions. You can also react with cute emojis if you'd like, and you can show you love a photo. You can send congratulations or more. It's so wonderful that A, it's not a candle, and also 
It's not sharing your photos on social media to look at. It's just there. You can share it with the people who you love. I have mentioned this so many times, but my parents have an aura that I got them. My dad loved that. I have gotten aura frames for friends, for family members, for family members of friends. So I'm a really big fan of them. I love what they do. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. So that's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use the code ologies at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. I love these things. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Listen, we're all carrying around just a backpack of stressors and sadnesses. When we keep them all zipped up and the load gets heavier, it can start to affect us negatively. You start to feel misunderstood, sad, resentful. A safe place to unpack that is, you guessed it, therapy. Therapists can help you dump out your bag and work through the heavy garbage that's weighing you down, in my case at least. I've used BetterHelp. They have definitely helped me understand that pushing my feelings down does not actually make them go away. It makes them feel worse. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible. It's suited to your schedule. You fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's so much faster and easier than trying to hunt down a therapist from just online listings and cold calling. That's one thing I love about BetterHelp. And if for any reason you're not vibing with your therapist, you can switch anytime, no additional charge, no drama. So unburden yourself and trauma dump onto someone who's trained for this. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ologies. Oh, KiwiCo. We love you. Kids love you. Parents love you. Uncle Allie's love you. Here's the deal. So whether you're staying at home or you're heading out on some summer explorations, KiwiCo is inviting kids, also kids at heart, that's you, to enjoy their first ever summer adventure series. So kids from two years old to teens can receive six hands-on science and art project kits over six weeks. They have something for everyone. They have different topics for each age, whether your kid wants to explore space or learn about dinosaurs. And I've heard from my parental friends that summer can be a little challenging to keep the kids busy. KiwiCo's like, we did the legwork for you. And the Summer Adventure Series is this personalized experience with super fun activities like a bottle rocket kit where kids can build an actual bottle rocket. And you can either receive all of your summer adventure crates at once or weekly for six weeks. I think it's so amazing that they have different crates for different ages. Everything from the great outdoors that has like giant bubbles or a window garden to a trebuchet kit for ages 9 to 14. An entrepreneur where you can do textured clips projects. If you have kids, if you know kids, keep them occupied and learning and having fun this summer with KiwiCo. And you can get 20% off your summer adventure series at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. That's 20% off your summer adventure at kiwico.com slash ologies summer. Oh, have fun. Oh, hi, it's me, the lady that checks a bunch of scholarly articles before she believes anything. Allie Ward. And I feel like we are similar in that we have a fair amount of skepticism and we like to dive deep and find out what the actual facts are. This is why when it comes to any kind of supplements, I enjoy Ritual, which is a female-founded B Corp, meaning that they're holding themselves accountable to not just the company, but also to the health of people in our planet. And they're clinically backed essential for women at 18 plus multivitamin has these high quality, traceable key ingredients in bioavailable forms that are clean. Only about 1% of supplement brands are USP verified and Ritual is one of them. So I like being able to trust what I'm putting in my body. 
body. From an aesthetic standpoint, I'll also tell you that Ritual are beautiful little vitamins. They look like lava lamps and they taste like mint. So taking my Ritual is part of my, I guess, morning ritual. I, that's probably why they named it that and I didn't even think about it. Anyway, no more shady business. Ritual's essential for women 18 plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. So get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash ologies. You can start Ritual or add essential for women 18 plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash ologies for 25% off. Down the hatch. Okay, let's get to your questions. Okay, questions from patrons. We got close to 300 in 24 hours. People want to know about poo. Sandra Abate just made a comment and just said, what a shitty subject, with a poo emoji and also a tongue out emoji, which is like not a good pair if you ask me visually. (laughs) Um, But the most popular question I would say we got, it was asked by Joe Wienenhofer, Sid, Rachel Weiss, Haley Hullings, Paul Hancock, Jeffrey Doyle, Madeline Winter, Schmitty Thompson, Toby James, and then first time question askers, Karen Elliott, Bennett Gerber, Kyle Torres, and JJ Pierce. Everyone wants to know. Karen Elliott's words says, wombat poop square. What the hell is that about? How? Why? What? And Paul Hancock said, how do they make a square poop with what I assume is a round bum hole? (laughs) Wow. You know, I actually had no idea that it was square because we don't have a lot of Australian species here. They shit a brick. Yeah. It's so weird. I think something must have gone viral on the internet like a few months ago because I did not know that yeah. wombats poo square. Wow. I'll look it up. Yeah. Is that crazy? Yeah, that is crazy because ouch, those corners. I know. I, I know. They, <laughs> they can't. They, there's no way that they can have a rhombus butthole. And it doesn't like form when it hits the ground and be like... <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. But I thought people were joshing. I thought they were shitting wow. me, but apparently they're not. Of course, I'm going to have your backside with an explanation here. And this is a pretty new finding. So in the 50 million years that wombats have been waddling around the planet, these large potato-shaped marsupials have shit mysteries until November 2018, when Georgia Tech scientist Dr. Patricia Yang, a fellow scatologist, lead authored on a paper titled, How Do Wombats Make Cubed Poo? So they took the intestines of two wombats who died from vehicular wombicide. And as another author, David Hu, told Science News, quote, we opened up those intestines like it was Christmas. So they found by blowing up balloons that in the last 8% of the intestines, water is absorbed and the lumps get dry and are shifted around in a way to compress one side and then the other, and then, boop, a very dry square peg shoots out of a round hole. They can pop out up to a 100 of these 2-centimeter suckers a night, and they stack them up in piles to communicate to other wombats. What is life? Also, color-wise, let's talk about it. Stercobilin is what browns it down, and it's the product of metabolized blood and bile. So more pale, floaty, and, quote, offending stool might mean higher fat concentration and faster transit time. It may indicate a pancreatic issue, y'all. And super dark and or bloody could be signs of internal bleeding or a tumor. So take a peep and then talk to a doc. Probably not a Dr. Poo at the zoo, though. P.S. If yours has ever been like a St. Paddy's shade of green, and I'm looking at you, patrons Tara and Jana, it was likely, you ready for this? From eating something with blue food coloring, which breaks down into this con- very concerning verdant hue. So drink a few liters of Purple Saurus Rex Kool-Aid. Get back to me. Actually, please don't. 
a lot of people, Megan King, Grace Lauren, Joe Ferentino, Logan Kay, Don Swart, Ryan Clark, and Emily Crook, uh, first time question askers, Emily and Joe, they want to know why dogs love to snack on poo. Ugh. What? Why? <sighs> Megan King says, why do dogs enjoy eating cat poop so much? They treat them like I treat non-Pirellas, like candies. <laughs> Also, non-Pirellas are those flattened chocolate kisses with sprinkles on one side, even though actually the little round sprinkles are the non-Pirellas, and in French that means without equal, but they look like a pile of colorful hard-shelled deer droppings on a micro scale. But yes, why do dogs eat cat turds like they're candy? <laughs> do they know something we don't? Well, first of all, cat poo is really stinky and there are, you know, pretty much, they're supposed to be straight carnivores, right? Yeah. And so they, I mean, it's all, it's all about what they're eating, right? Mm. So, and it smells so good. So, you know, <laughs> to the dog, of course, <laughs> I think it's just, I think it's just odor. And then, you know, dogs maybe like to be a little bad sometimes, Yeah. but there is some evolutionary history to feces eating, especially okay. with uh, a female, a, a bitch with her litter, uh -huh. because they they want to conceal their litter. So they'll actually eat the feces. And then when before um, the pups can really do anything on their own, they lick their hiney, right, to cause them to urinate and defecate. And then the moms eat it. Oh. So it's really, it's really, a, I don't know if more females do it than um, male dogs, um, mm -hmm. but they, there is a reason why they would eat feces. Now, I, the, the other species, like my dogs eat horse poop, they eat rabbit poop, they eat dog poop. They eat, I mean, it's terrible. I just, you know, it's, it's just really gross, <laughs> yeah, especially when they burp. You know, oh, you're just no. like, oh. oh, but anyway, so there is a reason why, you know, some, the, the history of it, the evolutionary history of it. So it's to conceal oh. their, their, their den. And then, um, other patrons had the question and I will list their names later. Okay. Now is later. And first time question askers, Kyle Wilkinson and Ashley Curtin and Elliot Warden want to know. Why do some species of animal eat their own like twice, like lagomorphs, like rabbits and, Certain animals are like, mm, let's have at it again. Yeah, so rabbits have two types of feces. They have, uh, they defecate out vitamins and minerals. And so they had to actually eat that, that in order to, to absorb it. I'm not sure if they have to, I don't know the whole biology behind it, but if they have to actually, like their body has to break it down a mm -hmm. little bit before they can actually ingest it. So they have to eat, they have to eat it. Huh? But then they have another kind of defecation, which is like the waste product. Man, I wonder if they're excited because they are their own vending machine or if they're like, why do we have to eat our own shit? Why have I, no one else has to eat their own shit other than some of us? Like, I wonder. It's a good thing we're so cute. I right? know. I mean, ugh. you know, I, I, I don't know why, why that would be. And except for their digestive system maybe is not as efficient or, you know, able to absorb some of those nutrients. Yeah. So they have to, you know, eat it. Yep. Poop. So leftovers. Yeah. You know, my mom calls leftovers French cooking. She calls it deja vu. She's like, <laughs> we're having French tonight. So I guess they just have a lot of leftovers. Yes. Um, wow. This episode. Learn a lot, folks. Such as the little nugget that rabbits don't just eat their poo. They eat special hindgut fermented and very nutrient-rich poos called cicatropes, which usually are dark and lumped together and look kind of like a blackberry, but made of dark poo. And according to one rabbit care site, cecotropes are soft, 
sticky, and pungent, and usually eaten directly from the anus, so you won't often see them. Out of sight, out of mind. Please, dear lord. Abigail Irvin Penner, first-time question asker, asked, why do different species have different scented poop, like a cat poop candle would smell so different than a dog poop candle, than a human poop candle, but all cat smells the same and all dog poop smells the same? Is that just dietary, do you think? Uh, I definitely, my I can tell which dog left the pile. <laughs> There's definitely an odor difference. Um, but yeah, again, it's 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 about um, the the microbes in the gut and the and what they're eating for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. God, I hope no one ever makes a cat poop candle. Oh God, do not want. Never anyone. There's a reason why they bury it, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ahmad, first time question asker, wants to know how full of poop are we exactly at any given point in time? Do you think? Wow. How much poop is in us? I just think about those colonoscopies and how much liquid you have to actually drink to clear it out. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. I can't remember how long the intestines is, like 120 feet or something ridiculous. And so if you're not eating a lot of fiber, you you know, they could be in there for a while, I think. So, yeah. Isn't it crazy to think whenever you're just like sitting in a, at a party that there's a ton of poo there, but it's just in bodies? I just, I try not to think about it, especially, know. you know, on the airplane when you're all stuck. Oh, yeah. I was there. on an airplane this morning. Yes. Oh, thought about that. Mm-hmm. P.S. I looked this up and for every 100 pounds of body weight, you make about a half pound of solid waste a day. But I saw one Reddit post. I mean, let's be honest, I looked for one from a guy who per doctor's orders was taking a pre-colonoscopy, what he called military grade laxative. And though fully hydrated, he says he offloaded eight pounds of cargo. Now, this next question was also asked by Jennifer Tran. A few people had questions, including Karen Elliott, about civet poo coffee. Like, what happens oh. in seeds and when coffee beans have to pass through? Right. Animal? So, I, some seeds, I guess they have, I don't know much, but they have, like, the outer coating mm-hmm. that has to be um, broken down. And so, I guess the digestive system of some of these species, it's really necessary for a lot of plants, actually, to have their seeds ingested and then defecated. So, it sort of breaks apart the outside to help them germinate. Oh, and then question about, a lot of people had questions about positioning. Um, Monica Schneider said, I've heard that squatting is the optimal position for our digestive system. I'm picturing my dog. How did toilets evolve to be so upright? Or mainly, like, should should we as primates, should we be squatting more? It's a cultural thing, I think, yeah. because you go to Africa and you're squatting. Yeah. You know, it's a porcelain squatter, but mm-hmm. you know, you're squatting, or, or, you know, and so... I've heard that you're supposed to squat. Do other primates, chimpanzees, apes, are they squatting? Yeah, they're squatting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're definitely not sitting on a ceramic bowl reading a phone. <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> For 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, oh, Sid Gopijar wants to know, does any animal have nice smelling poop? Actually, yes. Yeah? The giant panda has poo that smells like tea. <laughs> They're eating bamboo and it literally smells like tea. When, you know, here we were, we freeze dry poop sometimes. And um, some lucky scientist was freeze drying his giant panda poo while I was freeze drying my fishing cat poo. Lucky. So, um, yes, uh, giant panda smells like tea. Ah, oh, did that change your relationship to tea? Uh, no, but I really kind of 
despise the giant panda for, you know, for all these things, certain things about them, even though they've been very successful program, right? They, yeah. they dropped their endangered species status and stuff. So, um, but yeah, it's just like one more thing where, you know, a giant panda got a lot of funding because of the way they look and their icon for wildlife um, conservation. And then something like a fishing cat or a black footed ferret, which is, you know, smaller and less known, mm-hmm. you tend to get less funding. You know, so I was like, oh, even their poo smells good. <laughs> I loved it. Pandas got haters. <laughs> it makes sense. They oh, get no, this so is going to be broadcasted. No, no, it's hilarious. Um, Vin Reddy wants to know, and uh, several people asked this question, the Bristol stool scale. Have you heard of it? Where it's like, I guess, certain consistencies? Yes. This was also asked by Haley Temple, who called the Bristol stool scale the best thing in the universe. And while that might be a little hyperbolic, Haley, it's a great guide for people with IBS or problem poos to communicate to doctors or friends in the group chat. None of my business. But it features types one through seven in turdly firmness. So number one is separate hard lumps like nuts. Two is sausage-shaped but lumpy. Four is snake-like. We've also got some soft blobs, some fluff. And finally, number seven, entirely liquid. Ah, yes, the Bristol scale. So who was this genius Dr. Bristol? Well, sadly, he exists only in our mind's brown eye. This iconic piece of medical communication was the brainchild of doctors Stephen Lewis and Ken Heaton, who drew it up at a teaching hospital in Bristol, England. And I don't know why they didn't jump on the PR opportunity to name it the Lewis Heaton stool scale. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yep. Is that the same for different animals or just a human thing? Well, it depends on the animal what their their normal texture should be, right? And then, yes, any kind of variation from that, you know, is it dietary? Is it illness? It's definitely an indicator of health. Mm-hmm. Do other species look at their, check out their poops? Well, their buddies do, right? So the rhinos are coming in to check out everybody's poop in particular. Yeah, no, they're all interested. And then, you know, the chimpanzees are coming to check it out. And so they're eating what's in it. Mm. Don't ever put corn in there. Oh, actually, I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, Definitely had a corn question or two. Um, Casey Newhaven wants to know, what's up with corn? And why don't we properly digest it? And... uh, so another person had the same question, which is hilarious. Um, I'll find them. Yeah, yeah find them a lot of a lot of species. I don't know if it's just like the the fiber, the cellular nature of corn that makes it not as digestible without being processed. Mm-hmm. Um, but we use it to mark a lot of feces. Not a lot. Not a lot of animals can digest corn. So, really? Yeah. Melissa Cross had that question too. So it's um, so if you see kernels, there's nothing wrong with you. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with you at all. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Allison Hughes wants to know, what is up with fecal transplants? Is this just a fad in humans or are humans getting these, or are other animals getting these done too? Like, do other animals eat other others' poop to get the microbiome? Um, so I think this actually came from the cattle industry. Oh. Because they have what you call a fisculated cows, and it's actually like a porthole. So they've sewn on the cow because the rumen bumps up right to the body wall, Mm -hmm. and you can do a surgery, and then you have a hole right into the rumen. P.S. The rumen is the first of four stomach chambers in ruminants. And in cows, you ready for this? It can hold up to 40 gallons of sloshy, chewed-up grass that 
ferments like your roommate's kombucha experiment. And at vet schools like UC Davis and Rachel's alma mater, Clemson, they'll often have cows with an open porthole in its belly into which you can insert a gloved arm. They make you make the cow swallow a pill and you have to catch it as it comes into the rumen. <laughs> just, yeah. So you're reaching in there with all the rumen fluid yeah. is churning. I mean, it's like squeezing. You know, that's the, I have to digest their, their um, the forage that way. Mm-hmm. And so it's like coming out in your hair and you're oh. like, <laughs> you're like, ah, and you're reaching because you could get an A if you catch this pill coming through. But so when they give the the cows the the um, cattle and other ruminants in particular really need that those bacteria those micro microbes to digest their food mm-hmm. and so if you give them antibiotics that wipes it out and so they they literally will take it out of the rumen from the fisculated cow the healthy cow and put it into the others I mean I think they'll they'll put it in a pill they'll yeah. have them swallow it too like we would too but they're learning so much this is not my science but micro microbial ecology and and the the relationship between our health our even our stress responses with these gut microbes it, it is really important and they're learning all this information I mean I think it's really valuable it's not just a fad mm-hmm. it's something that we're going to learn more and more about because we're learning how these microbes control a lot of our responses. See the microbiology episode with UCLA professor Dr. Elaine Shao, who is a leader in studying how our guts and butts affect our brains. Yeah. And do you find that studying cortisol and studying stress hormones in animals, do you ever find yourself relating that at all to your stress response? Or (laughs) if you're looking at sort of like how certain animals might be stressed when they're lonely or when they're changed habitats or yeah we look at that because we want to make sure we minimize stress Mm -hmm. and we look at what i found is transportation is one of the highest stressors maybe you can relate to that today literally (laughs) been on a plane all day (laughs) (laughs) like got up at three in the morning to catch a flight in the snow oh god and so it's it's very stressful even like you know we have the brookfield zoo close to us and it's like less than 20 miles away but of course there's chicago traffic Mm -hmm. but even coming from that short distance is a stressor Mm -hmm. and so we learn about when animals are particularly stressed during this this process because we have to bring in new individuals. We have to share them up between zoos in order to maintain the genetic health of these species. And you mentioned that you live in Indiana, 60 miles from the Chicago Zoo. Do you ever think about that during your commute? It's like it's like my time by myself because when I get home, the dogs want me, the ponies want me, the cat, well, the cat, yes, no, the cat does want me too. And my six-year-old son wants attention. They all want attention. They all want food and they all want it now. And so mm-hmm. like, I'm go, go, go. So the hour and a half I spend in the car, it's actually calming. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> like my my alone time. And so I, I knew what I was getting into when yeah. I moved that far. But, you know, if you want to have your ponies in the backyard, you have to live so far away from the city. So. Yeah, I think it's great that you have a balance of both. My job, you know, is you get more and more advanced in your career, you tend to get more further away from like what you loved about it in the beginning. You know, like I love working the lab. I love working with the animals. And so to get my animal fix, I, I get it at home, even if it's just shoveling poop, which I do a lot of. <laughs> This next one was asked by Isabel B. Holper, M. Wing, Christina Weaver, Joe Weinhofer. Like, Mm -hmm. why do animals have such different shapes? Why do rabbits poop pebbles and Uh and others are bigger ones? Like, 
What's going on there? Oh, you know, I've been asked that question before. I should have looked it up. But yeah, they all have their different shapes. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we even individuals have their own special kind of shapes. You know, like horses kind of have the kid, kidney bean shape. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then there's pellets. And it must be related to their diet. Mm-hmm. They cause them to do that. And, and the passage rate through the gut system. Yeah. It's so funny. If you ever see a like a goat, shit, it's, it's just like a sock full of pebbles yeah. turning inside out. Yeah, they just like, what? Yep, <laughs> and it is dropping and they yes. keep going and like not even like anything happened and no one else thinks anything happened. I know, just not a big deal at all. Okay, I looked this up and one theory of pebble poos is that the more likely an animal is to be prey, the more risky it is to go take a drink of water and the more water their body wants to conserve, producing number twos that are number ones on the Bristol stool scale. Separate hard lumps. Like nuts. Isn't that nuts? Okay. Laura Springer wants to know, what is the coolest or most fascinating thing you've ever found out about an animal from looking at its poop? Any just bananas uh, discoveries that you've made that really surprised you? Well, a lot of times, um, particularly with our, our animals here at the zoo, like our like our hairy Szechuan Takin. Uh-huh. It's a giant goat-like species from Asia. And, um, you know, it's very hard to tell when they're pregnant. You know, and so, like, I am, like, the first one to know, you know, at the zoo when animals are pregnant. That is the coolest thing. We're like a doctor's office. We're all, like, hush, hush. And even when people have, like, no clue. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, immediately tell them because, you know, when, when, you know, we're pregnant and animals are pregnant, you can't give them certain medications and stuff. So they need to know, you know, immediately that this is this is what happens. So it's often that we are learning things that no one else has learned before. And that that keeps your job exciting and fresh and willing to work with poo every day. (laughs) For aquatic animals and amphibians, Rachel also has pioneered ways of measuring hormones with skin secretion samples, which she calls frog swabs. And she says that's much easier than hanging on to a toad, waiting for it to unload on you. I've seen a video of a toad dropping a log and wow. Toad poop is pretty big. Giant. Yeah, but the problem is they don't do it often enough or sometimes for us they're doing it in the water and so then I'm just like, yeah. Who knows what's in there? Yeah. Well, speaking of water, Heather Densmore wants to know, when we're in the ocean or a lake, are we just swimming in a bunch of fish poop? Under the sea. Uh, yes, they definitely poop in the water, so you are swimming with poop, but it's hopefully diluted out, and, and then it's, it becomes like sediment. It drops to okay. the ground. That's called marine snow. After a while, it may kind of swirl around a little bit, so you know, don't swallow water, but then it's actually going to go to the bottom, Ooh. and then other things are going to eat it. Oh, it's just dinner served. Yeah, it's a, it's a food cycle, right? Yeah. You know? It's just like lunch confetti. Yeah, it's just like your dog is eating other poo. Right. Have you seen any of those videos of whales pooping? Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. boy. Yes. And actually, uh, we published a poo picture in our <laughs> latest paper on sea otters. Because sea otters do the same thing. It's like a a, a bloom of, of poo. <laughs> oh, no. And so, like, how, how can you study the stress of a, a sea otter? You know, and it's really difficult. This professional published academic paper about using whisker and hair and blood samples from otters features a full color photo of a Monterey Bay aquarium otter just kind of chilling, looking like a stoned guy in an oceanic jacuzzi. But if you look closely with the discerning scientific eye of a scatologist, you will notice a yellowish cloud off to its right. Again, this photo appears in Dr. Poop's published paper. Yeah, but we totally have a poop picture. I don't know, our latest, I mean, like, how cool is that? I mean, who, 
who who gets to do that anymore? You know, putting a poo picture in the in their publications. Not a lot of not enough people. <laughs> not enough people could grease the wheels yeah. with a little shit pic. Well, we had to get our point across that it's very hard to get feces from sea otters. So here you go. You're like, this is why we're tapping otter veins. Yes. We have to. Yeah. Um, last questions I always ask. Uh, shittiest thing about your job. This is a question I ask of everyone, but for you, I I actually do mean it. Like, what is the hardest or most annoying or irksome thing? What What's one thing about your job that just sucks? Besides the saliva, pipetting, yeah. like stringing from one tube to another. I mean, I think that the challenging thing is... Um, trying to do our science non-invasively, you know, because we want to understand stress physiology and you can't obviously stress them out for that. And so that's why you develop all these different tools to study their stress physiology. So, um, so that is very challenging. And then finding funding for these lesser known species that really need the attention, you know, like mm-hmm. the Blackfooted Fair, we, you know, they really, we have six to 700 left in the world, you know, oh. So, you know, some of that is very challenging when, you know, the, the, the giant panda gets, like, lots of money, you know? Right. So I know um, you've got, like, Winnie the Pooh in a Halloween costume versus a weasel. Yes, exactly. Not right. easy. Yeah. Is yeah. that heard a weasel? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. good. Just, I gotta do, I need a weasel It's in the weasel family, yeah. Okay. Would that be a mustelatologist? What would that be? Uh, yeah, I guess. We gotta find one. Anyone? Holler. Hook me up with a weasel person. Yeah. Yeah, I want to learn about weasels. But yeah, so it's getting funding. I, I hear from a lot of scientists. It's not their favorite part of the job. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, we do, we write a lot of grants here at the zoo. Yeah, because we're a nonprofit. We're a free zoo. And so we have to get creative and where our funding comes from. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't realize that you guys were a free zoo. Yes. <gasps> mm-hmm. Dang. Yep. So yeah, so you got to make it up other ways. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. And then uh, what do you love about your job as a feces researcher the most? <laughs> the most Dr. I love about my job? It's really, it's really that I can say I'm making a difference. Mm-hmm. We're, we're making a difference with um, conserving wildlife, whether it's, you know, small amphibians that don't get a lot of attention or, or ferrets. You know, this is, like I said, one of the rarest mammals we have here in North America. And, you know, I work on a couple of those and it's just like we... We are fig- figuring it out. We're finding out why they're having issues breeding or, you know, or even here at the, the zoo when our, our animals are just, you know, it's very difficult to put them together, working with the managers to, so they can help them understand their animals better, understand what's going on inside their animals so they can respond and, and take care of their animals or put them together when they're ready to breed. That's really rewarding when we're successful and, you know, we have a baby rhino or two, you know, coming out and just, you know, the, the rhinos in particular, the black rhinos are a critically endangered species. You know, there's like 5,000, a little bit over 5,000 in the wild. And, you know, here we've produced two in the last, I don't know, I'm going to say since 2013. And that is really cool. And I was part of that. And it was it was really rewarding to see those. And so feeling like being a poop detective lets you have a little bit more context for what the animals are going through, what's best for them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, because you can look at them, but you don't necessarily know what's going on inside. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, my, my skill, you know, a poop detective. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. And that's what's great about physiology. You can really understand how animals are responding to their environment. Wow, so our hearts aren't on our sleeves, they're in our poo. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> our hearts are in the toilet. Yep. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you so much for all the hard and not always great smelling work that you do. <laughs> it's my pleasure. <laughs> so ask smart people crappy questions and you're going to learn so much about yourself 
and others, maybe too much. Now, Dr. Rachel Santemeyer is at Lincoln Park Zoo, and you can follow them at Lincoln Park Zoo. We are at Ologies on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Allie Ward with one L on both, so do come be our friends. Ologies merch is available at ologiesmerch.com. Thank you, Shannon Feltis and Bonnie Dutch of the podcast You Are That for managing that. Thank you, Aaron Talbert, for managing the Ologies podcast Facebook group. Emily White and her amazing group of transcriptionists work to make sure these episodes are available for free. They are at alleyward.com slash ologiesextras. There's also bleeped episodes if you want to listen with kids or with a class or with my parents. And there's a link to that in the show notes. So thank you to Jarrett Sleeper of the podcast My Good Bad Brain for assistant editing, and of course, lead editor Stephen Ray Morris for all the piecing together each week. He hosts the podcast See Jurassic Right and the Percast, and just generally, he's a shit. Now, Nick Thorburn wrote and performed the theme music, and if you stick around past the credits, you know I tell you a secret. And this week, I'm going to keep it on theme. Don't get too excited. But as a kid, I had a hamster named Bacon, and she was just skittering across on the kitchen counter, she dropped a few little gifts. And I, I had only seen hamster droppings like way after the fact. And I just assumed that they came out as hard, dry pellets. So I tried to brush them into the sink, not realizing that they would just be mushy. And so anyway, that's about the time I smeared poo confetti all over the kitchen counter and learned, wow, hamsters comes out just like us. Also, I scrubbed the counter pretty hard. I never told my family, though. Sorry, guys. Okay, bye-bye. Pachydermatology, homeology, cryptozoology, lithology, nanotechnology, meteorology, That is one big pile of shit. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. 